time we're gonna um, I'm gonna read the scripture for our sermon text so if everyone could please stand okay so today we are in first John 4 verses 13 to 21 this is how we know that we live in him and he in us he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So there it is. It's in the Bible. You have to love me. If you don't, going to deal with God, <laughs> as, I, as am I, by the way. <laughs> well, I wanted to say happy birthday to Kaylee, because I think it's her birthday today. Is it today? Or yesterday it was yesterday? Oh, it's, a, it's a, close. This is a clock. I don't know what that means. You guys want to say happy birthday to Kaylee? She's sitting right there. Everyone, she's really embarrassed. So um, I just, <laughs> happy birthday, kiddo. How old are you? How old are you going to be? Huh? You're going to be 12? Oh, my gosh. Well, that is awesome. It's so good to see you guys here this morning. Are you guys doing well? Everyone seems a little fatigued. Are you guys fatigued? A little tired? Kind of sick of, you know, COVID and the voting stuff going on in the world? And, you know, just is it a little tiring? And I think, I think everyone, you could be on polar opposites of opinions about everything, um, from political to you know, global and all the stuff that we're going through, and you probably have in common that you're just a little tired. <laughs> but this morning, I hope that we can wake up because we have good news. God is love. Um, God is everything, and any, it's, he is everything you've ever been looking for in your life. He's the solution to all your problems. He is the cry, he's the answer to the cry of your heart. Um, and we, what we do as, as the people of God by faith every Sunday morning is remind ourselves of that because it's easy to forget it. It's easy to watch a you know CNN at night or you know if if you prefer a more conservative news whatever it is you just you go on um, you're listening to news reports you have your apps you're going through all this process and it's easy to just be like oh good grief you know I want to move to the mountains right um, but there is a, there is good news God is love and God has given us the unique task in this life to love Him richly and to love each other richly, and to love his creation richly. Um, God is love, and what he wants us to represent to a lost and dying world is that love. Um, Isn't that good news? Okay, so if you were grumpy, 
when you came into church this morning, I hope that you're a little bit happier, right? <laughs> Good. All right, so let's see here. Where are we? First John chapter 4. I am also very excited about being able to serve our community. They are taking great lengths. We're not leading this, but if you go online to the Warren Parks Department, um, specifically on Facebook, you see the event. There's all sorts of precautions that they're taking to kind of keep people distance and safe, and there's all these measures they're taking. I do need some help. I would love it if just two more people could sort of just step up and just say, I'm going to be there on Friday to help you. Really what I need help, help with is setting up some gear for the movie and also passing out um, some invites to our Christmas events coming up shortly. Isn't that great? Christmas is coming. I love Christmas. It's a lot of fun. So we have some invites that we're going to be sending out to the community to hopefully they can watch online, um, or maybe they can even come in person for those things. So um, it's going to be a great event to love our neighbors, to introduce um, um, ourselves to them, to, to ask them if they need prayer, to in invite them to consider the hope that we have in Christ. Um, so I'm just super excited to be able just to be a voice in the community there, and I hope that you are too. Be praying for that, because we really want to um, be a good witness and a good testimony this Friday. Pray that it doesn't rain, right, because um, it's supposed to rain, and I don't know if there's a rain date, but just pray that it doesn't rain and that we just have a real, really a lot of fun. Mostly, the, the reason we do this is because we want to introduce people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is just one way that we can do it. Okay, so um, I hope that you can come, um, and if not, I hope that you can be praying for us. Okay? All right. Let me just pray one more time, and we will dig into 1 John chapter 4. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, and each and every person was handpicked by you to be in this room today. Because you are that careful and intentional about our lives. Nothing we do is an accident. And God, um, we know that your love leads us to you. So I pray that the goodness of God would lead us to repentance, that we would draw near to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that your word would be powerful, that you would inspire um, your preacher as he speaks your word that it would be faithful that whatever is wrong that our congregation would have the wisdom to just throw away and disregard uh, and whatever is accurate and true to your word that we would hold dear to our hearts and that it would move us forward in our lives we love you in jesus name amen okay so i've had the unique privilege I've, i was i was ordained as a pastor about 15 years ago now um, when i was 25 years old and in the past 15 years, I've, I've probably maybe done a dozen or so weddings. And it's been my unique privilege to just be involved in what is that very special and beautiful process that sometimes people go through in life. Um, in a traditional uh, Christian wedding ceremony, there are two times in the service where the bride and groom make a promise. There are two times. They're usually once in the beginning of the service and once at the end. The beginning, what they, what, what they call it in the biz, um, is the declaration of consent, right? They, we begin with the declaration of consent. At the end, they exchange their vows. A declaration of, uh, in the declaration of consent, it's very interesting. A lot of people don't realize this imagery or what's happening. But in the declaration of consent, what the bride and groom are supposed to be doing is they face the pastor. And the pastor asks them a series of questions. And at the end, they hopefully respond, I, I do, or I will. That's right, it, depending on what denomination you're in. <laughs> um, I do or I will. The vows at the end, they're now repeating almost verbatim the same 
um, declarations that they made at the beginning, except they're facing each other. Now, in the beginning, they face the pastor. At the end, they face each other. And the reason for that is its imagery. In the Bible, weddings or marriage, and, and more accurately, marriage, is a covenant. And a covenant is a promise made to God and very often made to people. So it's not just a, a promise or a contract that's made between one person and another person. It's also made with God. You're saying, God, I promise this. And then, then if it's made, sometimes, sometimes a covenant is just made with God. But if a covenant is made with a person, you'll, you say, God, I promise this. And oh, and by the way, Charlie, I promise this to you too. So in the declaration of consent, the reason that they're facing the pastor is it's, it's an image. It's a symbol that what they're doing is they're making a promise to God, right? Now, in, in that particular instance, I fill the role of God. <laughs> Don't throw any rocks at me, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a symbol. It's symbolism. It's like they're speaking to heaven as if heaven hears, okay? Um, when they speak to each other, now they share that, that those same sort of covenantal promises that they're making to each other. So the bride and groom face the minister sort of promising heaven to, to um, love and to cherish each other. The declaration of consent in, in traditional um, marriages and weddings and Christian marriages, they'll read something like this, and you've probably heard this a million times if you've been to weddings. But you'll say to the bride, do you take this man to be your husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage, to love him, to comfort him, to honor him and to keep him in sickness and in health and forsaking all others. Be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. <laughs> you just got, I didn't realize it, but I tricked you. This is like that Rachel thing. You just got married to someone. And I'll let you know who it is after the service. And, the, and listen to the vows. They're almost the same. I, I groom, take you bride to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for good times and in bad, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Aren't those beautiful words? What an incredible and unmatched promise that we make to another human being when we, when in human marriage. Listen to these words again. I promise to love you and to cherish you. Now, if you're 20 years into your marriage... I'm going to ask you a private question. You can close your eyes so that no one sees your reaction. Did you wake up this morning, look at your spouse, and cherish her in your heart? I cherish this person. You see, friends, um, that is what we promise at our wedding vows. To not just pay the bills, right? To not just, you know make a business deal so that we can have sort of a productive life of children and, and retirement, but to actually cherish another human being in your heart. Dr. Tell Keller once said um, that at your wedding vows, you're making a deal with your future self, right? Because in that moment, very often, not always, but very often in that moment, everything's great. You're looking your best, right? Like, you're, you're probably doing well in your relationship. You haven't gotten in many fights lately. Yeah, this is your wedding day. Everything is good. <laughs> most of the time. I don't, obviously, that's not always true. But most of the time, that's sort of 
the, the experience of the wedding day. So you, you're not promising to love them now. You're promising to love them later when life gets tough. And it gets tough, doesn't it? You're promising to do this when it's bad, to still love them and to still cherish them. How many people have been on the other end of that promise only to find themselves abandoned by that same person some years later? And how tragic that can be for us. This morning, friends, um, I'm not doing a wedding ceremony, (laughs) but I am continuing where we left off last week in our discussion about the love of God because human marriage and the romance and love that we exchange with each other on a human level is meant in Ephesians chapter 5 to be a symbol of why God created you and me and the love that he desires to exchange with us. Isn't that great news? So when we think about these, these vows that we take, I promise to love and to cherish you. This is the language of Scripture all throughout of God's posture towards you in Christ that he pledges to love and to cherish us even when we don't love and cherish him in return. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of faithful God, committed God that we have. So I want to continue where we left off last week in our discussion about the love of God. How do you know that your bride or groom, I'm talking about in real life now, how do you know that they love you? Well, according to the vows that I just read to you, and and according to the Bible, by the way, love is only present when you are selflessly cherished by another person. Love is present when you selflessly cherish another human being. You put their needs before your own, and again in Ephesians chapter 5, you sacrifice your preferences and desires so that they might be dressed in glory. That's what Jesus did for us. So that's our definition of love. Love is present when we are selflessly cherished and served, even when we're at our worst. On a human level, we don't have the assurance that our spouse is going to continue that attitude of love towards us. Isn't that true? We hope that they will. And if we're wise, hopefully, in the the premarital process, we'll look for character and not just you know, beautiful blue eyes, right? But even if we do that, we still do not have the assurance. We change. Our minds change. We get weird. God doesn't. So, you know, if you want to go home and, uh, and someone asks you, what was today's sermon about? You can say, well, God doesn't get weird like us. <laughs> he never changes. Isn't that good news? In our relationship with God, we can have the full assurance of God's love every single day. And we have the promise that our love in return for him can be both known and perfected with each breath we take. In other words, you can love him and cherish him more tomorrow than you do today and should. In our relationship with God, we have this promise. God has made us in such a way so that every single day we can cherish him. And not only that, our greatest joy and satisfaction in life is to love and cherish our God. To nurture that kind relationship that he has pledged to us 
by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He made us to be in a love relationship with him. Do you realize that, friend? Every day he wants you to wake up and love him more than you did the day prior. And the only person that can't love um, you more than the day prior is him because he loves you perfectly always. But God has made you to love him more and more with each day. It's why, if you are saved, it's why he saved you. He didn't save you to worry about your finances. He didn't save you to to pine over whether or not you're going to get married someday. Friends, those things are important. I don't mean to minimize them, but he saved you to love him. And each day we have a new opportunity to love the Lord Jesus Christ in a new way, in a fresh way, in a stronger way. So friends, if your heart is broken this morning, take those broken pieces to a God who can mend them and heal them and invite you into a better love with him. That is such great news, isn't it? He made us to love him. So this morning I want to talk about two things. I want, I want us to live in love and I want us to be perfected in love. And these are both in our text. Let's talk about it. Our series, remember, is called Choose Life. We're going through this, this series, 1 John. Um, we're going through the entire book because it's much about how we experience the fullness of life in Christ, right? We want our lives to really be what God intended them to be. Real life is only found in a love exchange with your God. That's why he made you. He made you to love him. And he made you, he made you so that he might love you in return. And when that didn't happen because of sin, he was so intent on loving us in the way that he created us to be loved by him that he sent his son to die for us so that he could repair the damage that we created. That's how much God loves you. He's moving heaven and earth so that you can be his bride and him, his, your bridegroom. Oh, so friends... If you're bemoaning your singleness, would I just invite you to remember that you have a better spouse and he is coming back for you and he's the one that matters. Amen? If you're bemoaning, if you're grieving the loss of something, and I'm not saying this to be condescending or to say that you, that you shouldn't grieve loss, what I, what I am trying to encourage you in is that all, all the hopes of your heart are bound up in the love of God to be loved by him and to love him in return. So we need to live in love. And this is what we see in verses 13 through 16. By living in love, I mean that we consistently are aware that God loves us every day. That's what I mean by living in love. God wants you as a Christian to be conscious of the fact daily that you are the object of his love. In other words, he doesn't want you to forget that he's in the room. He doesn't want you to think that your life is just wrapped up in all the details of your life. There is a greater... Some, some people in this room have been engaged and have, have gotten married. And, and I think you'll probably appreciate the fact that when you went through that in your life, you don't really think about too much else. Everything gets filtered through that day. Like, you go to work with a skip in your step because you know, I'm making money because I'm going to be married soon. 
and we're going to live in this place. Everything that you do sort of is like about that moment and about this future relationship. You see, friends, it's no different why God created us. You see, God created us to be in a love relationship with him, and everything else was meant to sort of worship that, compliment it, kiss toward it, right, as Mike reminded us this morning. So we need to live in the love and the daily knowledge and the mutual exchange of love, and it can happen. You can pursue it. You were made for it. The first way that we live the love of God is through the presence of his spirit. That's what it says in verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. He says later that this living in him analogy means that the love of God is abiding in you. That you're exchanging it. You're, you're, you're in the heart of God and he is in your heart as well. Right? How do you know that that's happening? He's given us his spirit. It says, well, that seems kind of like cryptic. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. To have the spirit of God in us requires, well, before we get into some of um, the question I just asked, I want to point something out because this is really cool. To have the Spirit of God in us, according to this verse, means that our spirit is also in Him. Let me read it again. This is how we know that we, we live in Him and He in us. So you, let's just be a little Captain Obvious right now. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he lives in your heart. We all know that, right? But what this is saying is that you live in his too. The creator of everything, of all things, the supernovas and the black holes and the trillions and trillions of galaxies that are said to exist, the one who with a word spoke the stars into existence has you in his heart. He doesn't have anything else but you in his heart. You're the apple of his eye. You are loved like that. You see, friends, he is in our heart, but we're in his. So in scripture, it's not one-sided. It's not to say that we're in his heart, but he's not in our heart, or vice versa. We live in him, and he lives in us. He is in me, and I am in him. You and God in Christ are in union with each other. You say, well, I don't feel like that. Well, that's because we're not in heaven yet. We still have a flesh, but it is true. You are in him and he is in you. And you know, marriage in scripture is meant to symbolize the same thing. Human marriage, the two shall become what? One flesh, right? But there is a, spiritually, a spiritual and a heavenly union of heart between you and the Lord that was always meant to exist so that he's in you and vice versa. To know you is to know the Lord and to know the Lord is to know you. Isn't that incredible? Jesus said this in John chapter 17 in that very lengthy prayer that he prayed, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. There is this unity that is the intended end of your salvation so that you can love and be loved by God forever. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and he has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So how do you live in love? You accept the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and his spirit is put in you as a deposit, awakening you to the reality of all the truth of this. The proof perfect of the unchanging commitment of God's love for his children is that he gives us his spirit. It's how we know. It's his pledge. It's his ring. It's how we know. It's his wedding vow spoken to us face to face. It's the essence of his true and real love. Friends, we'll get into a moment on how we know the spirit of God lives in us. But this is the essence of true and real love. Us in him and him in us. He's in your heart. The love we seek that we thought we sought and so many different human relationships or experiences really was put in us so that we might love him. And you are never going to fully rest in any love, any lesser love, until you find him. So many of us just live to be cherished by somebody. And we finally find that person who thinks the world of us, who we think has us in their heart. And it just means the world to us, doesn't it? Oh, but it's so fading. It goes so quickly. But you, you see, friends, when, when God puts us in his heart, it never changes. We're always there. That's the love that he has for us. If possessing God's love requires his spirit in us, if that's how we live in his love, how do we know that we have his spirit? Good question. Let's talk about love's condition. Condition of love. You see this in verses 14 through 16. Not every single person is betrothed to God through Christ. Many never will know the love of God. That is the message, that is the hard message of Scripture. The only way we can be assured if his love is to receive his spirit. And and that means that we must receive his love as our ultimate and first love. We are faithful to him first. And verse 14 emphasizes this. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is how we know he is in us and we are in him because we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be our Savior. You see, that is proof perfect that the Spirit of God is in you, that you have trusted in Christ to save you. Our hearts testify of it. It confesses in this text, Jesus is Savior and Lord. You know, Savior and Lord in the Old Testament are virtually synonymous. A Lord is someone that you acknowledge as your source of life or or your authority or your author, right? That's what a Lord is. A Savior is someone in the Old Testament that restores that life to you once you've lost it because they're Lord. And they can restore it. See? In human marriage, there are two promises that a husband and wife make to each other. They promise to deny themselves, to love and serve the other person, to sacrifice themselves 
for the promotion and prosperity of the other person. You see, you're denying your own sort of will and, des- and, and, and personal sort of um, uh, isolated desires that were, that were always selfish, and now you're submitting them to the advancement and glory of the other person. And that's what Jesus did to us when he betrothed himself to us. He said, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to sacrifice my life so that they can be exalted. So a function of marriage is that we get into it so that we can make the other person more like Jesus, more glorified. Not so that someone can fetch me my slippers or make me lasagna to serve me. You see, I'm in this to make them more like Jesus Christ. That's my job as a husband to my wife. And friends, this is, this is the condition also of life with Christ in, God, in, in the exchange of God's love. Who proves you? What do you require to be in your heart that if it was in your heart, it would make you full? What justifies your existence and your rights and all your wrongs? What makes you more glorious. That's your Savior. That's who you acknowledge as Savior. You see, friends, to be in the love of God means that you only give that person to the only Savior, or that right to the only Savior. Does that make sense? The one that glorifies you is Jesus. The one that makes you like him, that cleans you, proves you, is Jesus. You see, him and no other, and forsaking all others, right, you see that this again, the imagery in marriage, and forsaking all others, I, I take you. And, and that's what we're saying when we come to God through Christ. We are forsaking all other hopes to make my heart full, to make me glorious. Nothing else can work except Jesus Christ. So what do you require to be in your heart, friends, to make it full? Because that's going to be your Lord. That's the one that you trust. To know God and to exchange love with God requires that you respond, I do, to him. And I don't to everything else. You see? He is your author. He is your bridegroom. He is the one that fulfills and completes you. Not Jerry Maguire right he is your author and he is your source of love in your heart and to have the spirit is to pledge allegiance to that love to the son of god as the only sacrifice for your salvation if anyone acknowledges that jesus is the son of god our text says god lives in them how do you have the spirit of god in you the love of god abiding in you acknowledge that jesus is lord and Savior. And so we know because of this and believe in the love that God has for us. You can be confident of it. Whoever lives in in love lives in God and God in them. Friends, you know the love of God is in you because the God who is love is the one in which your heart loves. That, That wonderful verse in the Song of Solomon. Behold, the one in which my heart loves. Does your heart love Jesus, friend? Do you love him? Is he in your heart? 
Have you testified? He is mine, and I am his. He saved me. He completed me. He is my Lord. You remember Abraham, uh, Sarah said about Abram, remember in that, that passage, that he, he is my Lord. Well, we come to God saying the same, he is my Lord. And this is how we perfect love. This is verses 17 through 21. It's how we grow in our understanding and experience and exchange daily of God's love. It's how, it's, in other words, it's how we can sense its presence. That's how we can feel it in our gut, right? That's how we perfect it. We can love God more completely and more fully tomorrow than today. And we can receive his love more consistently. In other words, we can abide in him. And God calls you, friends, to do just that, to live your life as a Christian right now, abiding in his love. The first way that this happens in our text is when our confidence is made perfect. The way in which we love God more than we do right now is what I mean, is when our confidence is made perfect. This is how, in verse 17, love is made complete. This is how love is made complete. In other words, this is how we grow in our ability to experience and sense the love of God and love him in return. That exchange can be made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let me explain this. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming back either judge, either as judge or bridegroom either as a judge or a spouse. He's coming back with those two roles. In the book of Revelation and chapter 20, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and the dead were judged. When Christ comes back in Revelation chapter 20, he comes as judge. And to be found outside of Christ is to find him as a judge and to be separated from him it's to not be betrothed to him but when he comes back he doesn't come back just as judge he comes back to receive his bride in revelation chapter 9 let us result rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come you see when christ comes back he receives his bride which is his people the church so how do we know how do we have confidence that when he comes, we will receive him as a bridegroom and not a judge. How do we know this? What will Jesus be for you on that day? Our confidence that Jesus will come for us in love is demonstrated in these words. In this world, we are like Jesus. What it's saying here is that when we start to realize that right now we are demonstrating the love of God in our hearts into the world, that that is proof perfect that God is indeed, or Christ is indeed, our bridegroom. What was Jesus like? Well, the love of the Father abided in him, didn't it? And his love abided in the Father. You see, your confidence in the coming of Christ is first the blood that was shed for you, and second, the new heart that was birthed in you for him. 
You can't escape that. If you're a Christian, it might, you might, it might wax and wane. You might have some bad years or months or seasons, but you cannot escape your love for God. Isn't that true? So growing in confidence, knowing that when he comes, he is coming as a bridegroom, will increase your capacity to love him right now. Because perfect love casts out all fear. That's what it says next. How do you grow in your experience of love? Well, you need to defeat fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Why do we not need to be afraid of the coming of Christ as judge? Well, because by faith, by grace through faith, you have been saved. And in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been cleaned by the blood of Christ and the promise of God, the vow of God to you, is that you will be wed to him forever and ever. Not because you earned it, but because Christ did. So that perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't make more of it in you. And as you begin to deflect fear and insecurity, your love and your heart for God grows and burgeons and crescendos in, in, in ways in which you never thought it could. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and that was put on Christ. So you need not fear anymore. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. To be in Christ is to have the just demands of sin settled forever on Jesus and not us. And that's our confidence. And that drives out fear. And what this is saying is when we practice this, remind ourselves of this, pray this, read the scriptures in this, fear is driven out and love builds. To have the love of God perfected is to have fear defeated. We perfect love as we kill fear. And we don't kill fear with wishful thinking. We kill fear with the crucifixion. The blood of Christ is what we stand on and all fear is cast out at that moment. We are duty bound as Christians to crucify fear. Any thought that somehow God is not satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ as it applies to your life. You see, that's not an insult to you. That's an insult to the blood of Christ. Because either it is sufficient to save you or it's not. Love is perfected and and fear is destroyed at the foot of the cross. So go there with your fear. Lay it down at his feet. Look up to a twisted, tortured figure that was supposed to be you, but wasn't because he loves you. And grow in your love and let that love cast out fear. Fear undermines the work of Christ. It's to say that God will not be good to his word and that Jesus' death didn't save me or anyone oh but to look at that bloody figure to look up fully and be fully convinced that it absorbed all the penalty of sin in your life that is to know the love of god and finally how do we perfect love well we need to purge hate hate and love cannot exist in a divine heart they are at war with each other We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. How do you really feel, John, 
right? Tell us the truth here, right? For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they can see cannot love God whom they can't see. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Friends, if you want to love God more, love people more. That's what this is saying, right? I mean, I don't need a Greek degree to know that that's what this is saying. If you want to love God more, love his people more. You see, friends, it, it, it actually is, um, in, in Scripture here, I, I believe that what this is saying is that we, this is actually a test of if you actually are really loving God or not. In other words, we can sort of diagnose our heart and our love for God by saying if, if there's this deep-rooted bitterness and hatred towards somebody, then chances are that who you're really mad at and bitter at is God. And they, they just got, it just got personified in a human face. See, how can you love God and hate your brother? You can't. The hard truth here is that if we have a problem with loving God's creation, our real, our real problem is that we are not loving. Right? If we, have a hard, if we have a problem loving God's creation, then we are not loving. And if we're not loving, it just begs the question, do we really love God? And do we really trust him? So how do we perfect our love for God? We need to have love as a posture of life. Eagerness and willingness to forgive our enemies. To sacrifice ourselves so that they might be saved. That's the love of God demonstrated towards God's enemies. And as, as the body of Christ, an eagerness to very similarly do the same. To love each other even when we're not so lovely. Right? You want to love God more? Love his people. Love his enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Desire their salvation and promotion. You say, oh, how is this possible? Who can live up to such a task? Well, that's a great question. The first person that did it is Jesus. And because he did it, even though we're weak in it from day to day, tomorrow's a new day. And tomorrow we can be an inch better, and the next day we can be two inches better. Right? Be patient with yourself, but don't give up on love. Don't settle into a hard heart towards anyone or anything. See, friends, when your heart hardens towards other people, it starts to harden towards God, too. You see, that's just a function of life that is the word of God in 1 John chapter 4. Friends, I hope that you'll live in the love of God. I hope that it will be made perfect in your heart. I hope that you can forgive. I hope that Jesus is the one that you cherish. I hope that you are anxious for his return. That you live your life in preparation for it. That you're getting pe spiritual pedicures and spiritual manicures and you're getting your spiritual hair done because the bridegroom is coming. Isn't that great news? He's coming. Are you ready? Love him today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us and how you've proven to us that you love us, the, the lengths that you went to for us. God, I pray this morning, if anyone doesn't know you, they haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
uh, God, I ask, Lord, let them put down their sin. Let them put down all of the other bridegrooms, all the other devotions, all the other saviors. I pray that they would put those down and come to you for salvation. That they would trust you, that Jesus died in their place so that you could have eternal life, so that they could have eternal life with you. Friend, if that's you and you're coming to faith for the first time in Christ as Lord and Savior, whether you're here in person or listening online, just tell God, cry out to God. God, save me. I'm a sinner. I've been worshiping and loving everything else. When my heart was built to love you, and Jesus Christ is the solution. He is the reconciliation of two estranged lovers. God, reconcile me to yourself through Christ. Oh, friend, if that's you, let's rejoice together. Come talk to me. Go talk to a friend. We want to pray with you and encourage you and help you in your new faith. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that today's a new day, that our love would be quickened by yours. Bless us now as we continue this worship.